My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we talk with Bill Sebald, founder and partner at GreenLane. We discuss how he began doing SEO in 1996, selling CDs on eBay, to working for a major music publisher, getting experience with an SEO agency, and then eventually founding his own agency, GreenLane. We also touch on the challenges of building an agency, finding employees who are the right fit, his stint as an adjunct professor at Philadelphia University, and much more. In the news, we talk about a few examples of amazing leadership being displayed by digital marketing agencies during the COVID-19 pandemic, how Amazon is asking some affiliates to pause, and Google's recent advice on how to pause your online business. Finally, we deep dive into how to make better SEO reports in which we talk about everything from KPIs and data visualization to the art and science of presenting results to speaking the language of your reporting audience. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Bill's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hello, everybody. You are listening to episode number 47 of the Page 2 podcast. I am your host, Jacob Stoops, uh, and we are here with Mr. Jeff Fluella. Jeff, how's it going? Going good. One quarantine day at a time. Yeah, my every time, every time my wife says, or when I say I'm in uh, quarantine, she says, don't say that. You're not sick. You're just being, uh, you're locked down. And I'm like, Does, is that really better? Is that really better? Yeah. Stuck at home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's good. Though I will say that uh, we, I practiced some social distancing last night with some neighbors out front just because we had, uh, I don't know, people just wanted to get out and talk. And, yeah. you know, we kept our chairs pretty far apart. So we had to yell a little louder, but it was good. So. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing that as well. Uh, where like you know, with my my three kids, it's really really difficult and challenging to have them stay inside. They're going stir crazy, and I can only imagine that it's going to get worse. So mm-hmm. we go out front, and our our both neighbors have uh, have kids the same age, so that even con- kind of compounds <laughs> compounds it. So we go out front, and the neighbors stay in their driveways, and we just talk. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, so bizarre. There's a lot of that. Yes, yes, and uh, there is no end in sight. So we're gonna not at all. We're gonna carry on. Uh, so we do have a guest, uh, Mr. Bill Seabald. Bill, how's it going? Going well. Thank you for having me, Bill. Where are you located? I'm in a town called Birdsboro in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. It's a town nobody's ever really heard of, but we're famous for one thing. I think one of the founders of YouTube came from here. I have really? no idea if he's still here. Um, I doubt it, but uh, yeah, that's the, the only thing that this town really is known for. Probably uh, somewhere in Silicon Valley. So how are things, uh, how are things going there in, in uh, Pennsylvania with all of the COVID-19 stuff? 
Uh, pretty much same as everywhere else, I, I suppose. I mean, we're, we, we have a bunch of counties locked down now. And uh, again, just like you said, no end in sight. We're just going to hang out. I'm binging on a lot of Netflix. Didn't realize there was so much good stuff out there. So there's some upsides here. Yeah, you, everybody can catch up. <laughs> Netflix is, uh, their business is, uh, is probably booming. There, there are, I think, certain businesses that are probably seeing unprecedented uh, activity just because <laughs> there's just so many people working from home and we all have no, no choice and no, no options. Oh, yeah. uh, but then there, there are obviously other businesses that are uh, suffering to extreme levels. So that part is... Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. So, yeah, I mean, I uh, think if you're online and you're can still deliver, that's great. I mean, I, there's a couple of things yeah. I wanted to get that Amazon wouldn't ship me. They said like not until the 21st of April. Um, so I went on eBay and got it off someone over there. But it was, you know, again, maybe not essential. But it's like while you're home, you need things to do, <laughs> and maybe hobby stuff is not essential on Amazon because they need to ship out toilet paper and stuff. So I like when I went, you know, probably supported a local business somewhere local, but a small business we'll say, and I had it in two or three days, which was great. So um, there are local businesses out there like you don't need to get everything off of Amazon, and actually Amazon's kind of pushing you away right now. So well, the the thing about Amazon is, so I went to all of the stores in my local area, literally all of them, after the state, uh, and I'm in Ohio, the state got shut down, not a roll of toilet paper to be found. So. I went to Amazon, all the toilet paper was sold out except like a few. And do you know what I got stuck with? Because it was literally the only thing left at the time. And I was like, well, we're running out. So something, something's got to give a, an industrial size box of toilet paper. It, I've got, I, now I have like way too much toilet paper. And that was like, that was my only choice. But do you know how long it took to ship? Two and a half weeks. And yeah. you know that's funny because, well, we have to have something to do. And my birthday fell right after uh, the state got shut down. So my wife decided to get me, and actually mostly for my kids, a basketball hoop. Do you know how quickly that's going to get here? Like a couple days. Take, take, taking me two and a half weeks to get toilet paper, basketball hoop, no problem. Three days. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your birthday gift with toilet paper. <laughs> I, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I need that probably a lot more than I need a basketball hoop. So, <laughs> yeah, I was I was talking to some people. I live in a uh, HOA uh, community, swim tennis, and down by the tennis courts, there's a set of bathrooms. Um, but I heard someone on there that somebody like, if you live in the community, you have a fob, you can use the bathrooms anytime. Someone went into the storage closet inside those bathrooms and stole all the toilet papers oh. out of all those. So. What a great um, and they and they were like there was probably a bunch in there and they were all those giant rolls you know that fit on that uh, you know in an industrial bathroom so uh, what is wrong with people what is yeah, wrong with and I guess desperate times weird weird things man anyways yeah well I I have to say out of all the things that I thought would be gone in a pandemic toilet paper is not one of them so that came as a surprise to me anyways so. It, I was going to say one more thing. I went to Woodstock in 1994 and I had wow. one great piece of advice that somebody who went to the original Woodstock was, and it was bring toilet paper. And I will say on Sunday at Woodstock, I had a backpack with like four rolls of toilet paper in there and there was none to be found 
that I was like, all my friends, I was the savior of that day. And, and I, like give that, I give that guy credit. <laughs> it's like TP was the one thing to bring to Woodstock that out of everything that people brought, I was actually uh, ahead of the game there. So. I thought you were going to say adult diapers. Nah. That reminds me of New Year's Eve. You hear the stories about the people not being able to leave Times Square and being literally stuck there all day. And I'm like, where do they go to the bathroom? And now that I've heard the actual stories, when I see that on TV, all I just imagine is a sea of people peeing and pooping themselves. So I never want to go there. I used to want to go there and be like, yeah, that'd be great. No, not not as an adult. No, it just sounds awful. It probably smells awful. (laughs) Anyways... (laughs) I'm sure people did not come here to listen to us uh, talk extensively about COVID-19, although that is difficult to avoid, or people's bodily functions. So let's let's move on. So as I've said in the last few episodes, I'm going to say it again. Uh, and when we get to season three, I'll stop saying it. But um, this podcast, uh, really, we we have achieved our um, our growth goals. So we set out. Uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, we looked at our, our listener, listener stats, and we said, all right, based on this, here's the number that we want to hit. And thanks to uh, our audience, uh, and, um, you know, our guests are uh, the amazing guests that have come on. Um, we've not just beat that goal, we've, we've crushed it. So and we can, we can share that at the at the end of the season, wherever we end up, but we've crushed it. So we've grown, uh, grown beyond our, uh, our wildest dreams, uh, so to speak. Um, not to, not to say that we're we're Joe Rogan getting millions and millions of listens, but we're doing better than we thought we would do. Close second. Yeah, close second. Uh, and and I feel like we set a pretty aggressive goal for ourselves, especially being a a niche podcast. So we're really um, we're really happy and really grateful. But being a small podcast. Still, um, what I would say is that there are probably a lot of first-time listeners. So if you're one of those first-time listeners, I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of what the podcast is about. Uh, and then you can either choose to listen or drop off and say, hey, this, this, this idea sucks. But <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of a stool with three legs. Uh, the first segment, which is really the core of the podcast and how the podcast started, is about people's backgrounds, origin stories, uh, and really dives into what it's like to be an SEO day to day. When I was uh, starting this podcast now, like a year and a half ago, um, I wanted to be a little bit different. I wanted to have a voice in the industry, um, but I didn't want to spew out uh, what everybody else is, you know, is talking about. I wanted to take a little bit of a different angle. And what I found uh, fascinating, and I still find it fascinating, is that because you can't really learn SEO in the traditional education system, and by that I mean college. They if they touch on it at all, they barely touch on it. So most people, uh, especially if you've been in the industry for a while, fell into it from somewhere else. Um, and I would, I would probably anticipate that all, all three of us uh, on this show are, are and I, Jeff, I know you, and I definitely know me, Bill, we'll hear your story in a minute, um, but we probably fell into it. So I find that interesting. Uh, and not only that, I find just talking about what it's like day to day because uh, sometimes it's really awesome and sometimes it really, really sucks. Uh, it helps to make other people in the industry feel like, hey, you're, I'm not alone. I'm not going crazy. There are other people like me. And um, I found those conversations to be uh, very awesome. Um, yeah, so that's the crux of the, the podcast. The second 
uh, segment is SEO news. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guarantee that this section is gonna stay, but it's been fun uh, during this season to just talk about uh, some of the breaking news or not breaking news uh, as we found, uh, and just to kind of give our opinions on the spot, kind of unfiltered. Uh, and usually it's just uh, a forum for. Jeff being the level-headed one and reading the news and me just complaining about how Google's evil. And that's been kind of a, kind of a running joke. Um, and then segment three, and this will probably stay around, but we still have to talk about it, is uh, a deep dive into a predetermined subject. And today's deep dive is going to be around building uh, amazing reports and, and uh, how to just be better at reporting uh, in general. So if you're still around by then, um, you know, we're going to deep dive on that and we're going to get into a, a pretty good discussion on everything from just how do you deliver reports to what are the right KPIs, dashboards, visualization, so on and so forth. So without further ado, um, I want to dive into the first segment so people can stop hearing me talk um, and I'll say, Bill, um, Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your background, how you got into SEO, where you're at now. Just take us through it all. All right. So I got into SEO in 1996. I started working for a, a company outside of Philadelphia. They were a local shop. They sold used CDs. And, and uh, the uh, owner of the company said, hey, there's this new thing. It's called the Internet. And there's got to be a way to make some money on it. And, you know, this is the days before shopping carts and all that. So when I showed up at the store, I was just going to buy CDs and would start chatting with the people who worked there. Uh, saw what they were trying to do and said, that's interesting. Maybe I could be a part of it. And that's how I just got hired. So he basically, the owner basically said, um, you know, help me sell these things. And eBay was around and eBay was the, the big, um, real plat really the only platform where people were selling anything. So he had the vision that we could be something uh, similar to eBay. And it was a, a new internet and everybody had a fair shot at getting attention. So um, some pretty, you know, smart visionary thoughts from him, even though, you know, we didn't have a shopping cart. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have any kind of dynamic databases, no catalog managers. So it was very manual. It was all run by Excel spreadsheets, uploading Excel spreadsheets. But it was working there that I was, you know, trying to figure out how to bring traffic. And search engines back then, they were really, um, you know, unsophisticated. But I, I got really interested in just ranking well in all of these different search engines and watching the traffic come and watching sales happen. So that was kind of an exciting time in my life, and I just stuck with it. Um, I started doing stuff in the music scene. I, I had a little bit of a, a, a jaunt there playing music and I, I created a music website. Uh, this is around the time when like Napster was happening, if you guys remember that. So oh, yeah. I decided to create this publisher site and I was taking what I had learned from this previous job and I said, well, maybe I can get some visibility for this, for this publisher site. Um, two years of hanging out with rock stars and doing some really cool stuff, learning SEO um, the whole time. Uh, not really successful, not really making money. And then Rolling Stone said, hey, we ought to take this internet seriously. And they came out and we kind of got crushed. So that's where I really got the bug, I think, for SEO. I now worked on the e-com side. I worked on the publisher side. And it's, I really just stuck with SEO from there. Um, I took a job in-house 10 years later working for a, uh, another e-com site. This time it was a real e-com site with a real working, um, uh, you know, uh, cart uh, after that, I went to um, a place where I might have met Jeff called yeah. GSI Commerce. So this was a big 
platform. They had hundreds of, of different retailers on their big retailers. And, you know, we worked in the marketing um, business of that company. And, you know, all through there, I was, that was probably the best experience I've ever had because you were around all these, you know, really brilliant people. You were working with really brilliant, you know, smart brands and you were able to do some really cool things sometimes. So the, <laughs> the experience there was I learned a lot of SEO really well, but there was a ton of SEO that we never had to deal with. We never had to deal with link building because our brands were always like the, the you know, they didn't need links. They were already getting them. Yeah, so uh, that was the fun part with that. Yeah. You didn't need, you didn't need links, <laughs> but I felt like after that job, I was like, there's a lot I don't know. And link building was one of them. So then I spent, you know, the last uh, three or four years after that, like filling in the blanks. What don't I know? I went to a B2B company. I started to learn SEO for the B2B slant. Um, you know, I've just always been uh, a student of, of SEO. I've always just been fascinated by it. So, uh, 2012, I took my consulting company that I kind of had on the side. It was sometimes a little bit more active than, than not. And I decided, you know, what, I'm going to expand this. I'm going to turn this into something bigger. Uh, so Green Lane became an agency instead of a sole proprietorship in 2012. Uh, I brought in um, a person Jeff and I worked with. His name is Keith Urban, like the country singer. Uh, he ran the analytics at GSI. So I thought, you know, we have an SEO guy and we have an analytics guy. We can actually develop uh, some really cool strategies for clients this way instead of it being the you know, the scaled, typical, everybody gets the same thing type of thing that a lot of big agencies do. Not all, but a lot. So he and I started this company and just grew from there. Just kept going. We, um, we're a team of 15 now. Um, and it's just been, you know, the, the gamble that we took, thinking that people would actually want to talk to SEOs who develop strategies instead of just it being a tactical channel. Um, you know, I think that gamble paid off. I think that's really, you know, where most SEO companies are, are going now, which is good. Um, because I don't know, you don't really get good results doing the old school tactical stuff anymore, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So that brings us here to 2020 and been doing the same thing for the last eight years or so. So in terms of, you know, founding your agency and going from a sole proprietorship to now scaling up to 15, 15 employees, um, what have been some of the challenges that you've you know, had along the way in terms of just being used to working on your own, but that now being, you know, responsible for running an agency, you know, making sure people get paid, doing all of that, all of that stuff while still kind of growing and evolving and, um, you know, as the industry changes. Well, I was definitely naive going into it. I thought, you know, because I ran a department at GSI, I understood, understood P&Ls and, you know, I understood, you know, how to hire somebody, I thought. Right. But when you're actually <laughs> creating your own company, oh, there's a lot I didn't know. So it was really tough to, you know, you start learning about taxes. You have more conversations with lawyers than you've ever thought you'd have in your life. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was it was tough to, to sort of navigate some of those things in the early days. I think the biggest thing that took Keith and I a, a bit to learn is, you know, we, we were so used to, and you said it. So I'm going to riff on that a little bit. Like you're used to doing all this stuff yourself. Now you have a team of people. You have to delegate things out and you have to pick people that, you know, see the vision, believe in the vision, you know, want to execute the vision. So you have to find the right people and you have to find people that can, you know, help you get things done. And, um, you know, in the first few years, I think I stressed myself out a bit more because I didn't realize I wasn't letting other people take some control. Um, you know, this is their company too. We're all working at this company. You know, we, we, we want to love it. We want to have um, things to do in it and things to be proud of. So eventually, 
we figured out we got to start letting other people come in and, and take some of this off our plate because we're dropping the ball way too much. It's just way too much to do. So now we have a what I believe is a perfectly you know balanced kind of uh, system. And what makes, in your eyes, the right person? What makes a person fit? Two things I interview for is passion and attitude. Um, you know, we at GreenLane, we try to get somebody uh, who, who has some sort of brand experience or agency experience. But if somebody comes in the door and they have passion and attitude, I'm instantly interested. Um, even if somebody doesn't know everything, if they have the passion and the attitude, and you can really see it, then you'd know that they're going to eventually learn it. Like those are, those are sort of the people that I want to have on board. You know, ideally if I can get experience with it, yes. But if I only had to pick two passion and attitude, it, it means so much to me. And you could tell right away when somebody has it. Right. So having worked with Jeff and managed Jeff, I guess I have to ask what's Jeff like as, as an employee, I've worked with him for a while now too, but I want the, I want the rest of the world to understand what, what Jeff is like. Jeff managed me. Jeff was my boss. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. I did not realize that. I never ever looked at it as boss or anything like that. We were trying to figure things out. So, right. I was Jeff the boss. I was a consultant. I was doing GreenLane on the side, but I had a full time job at GSI. And then I decided I wanted to go and try full time consulting. So I quit GSI. Um, They hired Jeff. Jeff took my job. And then our old boss asked, hey, why don't you come back and consult for us? Um, and now I had a boss. And I was like, great, let's do it. Because I actually loved that Jeff was there because we had trouble getting in the very early days. Like, I don't know when you joined, Jeff. Maybe it was like 2007. But it, we were having trouble really getting SEO to get through to all the other business managers and all the brands. And they weren't really interested in investing in a big team. And, you know, the SEO is, uh, world is a community. And not having people who were SEOs with me got kind of lonely. And and yeah. I, I always wish there was somebody else there. So when I heard that you were joining, I was thrilled. I was like, yeah, there's going to be some more SEOs to talk to. So it was actually a great experience yeah. having Jeff come in. I, no, it was uh, fun. I learned a lot off of Bill. And just in general, like I think together we were trying to figure out like GSI was amazing because they just had all these top brands that were, you know, everyone, I think – there wasn't a brand that people didn't know out of that bunch. Um, but they also were, had the worst platform <laughs> um, for e-commerce that anyone could have. So you have someone like Toys R Us on a platform where you couldn't put a canonical tag on it or something like that. So it's been a little crazy. Uh, it was, it was, it was fun doing there, but again, there was, when you said, Bill, you can do stuff sometimes. <laughs> um, there was some great times we can do stuff, but then there was times where you just, throw your hands up in the air because you can't do anything because your company is the one that's in charge of the platform and the platform served 50 people. And if you made one change, it changed it on 50 people because <laughs> it was never meant to, to actually build to be individual platforms. Uh, I knew they were getting away from that, but it was, it was an interesting time. It was tough because you, you knew yeah. what you wanted to say to clients, but you knew what you weren't allowed to say because they, they'd scrutinize the platform. Exactly. So we would have to build plans against, um, you know, what we knew we could do. And, and that's one thing. And by the way, this company's gone. They were, they changed their name a couple of times. They were bought by eBay yeah. and then dismantled. So they're not around anymore, but right. you know, starting green lane, there was a lot of things, um, you know, I, I liked from that experience and there's a lot I didn't. And, and that was, that was one of the things like I want to be able to go and say, you company have these goals. I'm going to give you everything 
that you need to do to get there. Not here's some things that you can do. I want to give you the right answers because every company can theoretically do anything we prescribe as SEOs. I look at it like a doctor. A doctor's not going to go in and say, all right, we're going to try to get you healthy, um, but you, you, you got to quit smoking. They're never going to say you don't got to quit smoking. <laughs> you know, they're going to tell you what you have to do, whether you want to hear it or not. And, and I think that's the, um, the best approach that you should take as a consultant. So I'm just going to say that uh, you guys, you guys make my Christmas time shopping a lot harder because I'm going to blame you guys for causing Toys R Us to shut down. Oh, we were out of there before they did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's but there was some. But it's a giant pain were, in the ass to Christmas shop without Toys R Us. Yeah, they were very. Uh, Toys R Us was was fun. I mean, it was an interesting company, but um, ah, they were so disjointed internally. Like from when I any meetings I had with them back then, um, and Bill, you might have worked on them after me. But it, they were when they brought us in. I just remember. Uh, we were trying to win them over as like complete SEO clients and they, uh, yeah, they went with someone else just because it was just me and Bill pretty much. <laughs> and they liked us, but they would always come back to us and ask us some things. And um, I remember when they bought toys.com, that was like this big fun thing. They, they were like touting that they owned like the top five brands on toys and they bought toys.com for like the highest amount anyone ever bought a domain before at that time. It was like, $4.8 million and then just 301 redirected it to Toys, Toys R Us and lost all their value. <laughs> um, and that was a fun phone call when, you know, Toys R Us calls your line and like, what did we do wrong? And I'm like, this is Toys R Us? <laughs> what are you, you calling me? <laughs> okay. That was fun. I remember that. Yeah. And it made it a mess. They made toys.com and I tried to make a, a Woot site and they made it more like a funny blog. And I was like, well, that's not what I was planning, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that you guys talk about um, working for all doing SEO, but for the com for the same company that built the platform and having to be very careful about what you say. I had an experience similar to that. I won't say the company, but it was if you've heard my bio, you know some of the companies I've worked for. So it was a few companies ago, and our team built built a platform. Uh, or not built the pla the platform already existed, but we helped implement it for uh, a very large hospitality uh, client, and we got to the to, we were we were coming up to launch day, and I couldn't have been throwing up any more like red flags than I than I was with things that were wrong. Like I was I was basically like shooting off fireworks at that point, going guys, not gonna go well, not gonna go well to all of our internal teams. And uh, also while trying to balance the line with the external, the, the client saying, uh, you just need to be careful. You need to be careful. I'm a little worried, not going to go well. So it was like a fine line between telling the client what was actually going to happen. And it ended up happening. It didn't go, it didn't go well. Their revenue dropped by like 40% uh, as soon as the platform launched. And then the team came to me and said, uh, the team on our side came to me and said, okay, we're ready to start taking you seriously. What do we need to do to fix this? And I'm like, you should have listened to me before. And then we wouldn't be in this problem, but you didn't want to listen. You basically told me to be quiet <laughs> and I couldn't, and, and I couldn't criticize you and I couldn't call you to the carpet in front of the client. So I had to kind of keep my mouth shut. So weird, weird, weird situation. Yeah. Oh, so Bill, um, 
You are an adjunct professor at Philadelphia University. What, how'd you get into that? And what is, what is it like being kind of a, a professor? And what do, you, what do you talk about? So I haven't actually worked for them in over a year, so I probably should update my, uh, my, oh, yeah. <laughs> but the same thing I've done for them, I've done for, uh, um, in, in a way I've, I've done for, a for a, a couple other schools. Um, Drexel is in Philadelphia. If you, if you know Drexel, I, I work with Drexel as well. So it's basically, I like what you said in the intro. It's, you know, a lot of, you're not learning this in schools. You're learning this, you know, in this amazing community, it's been going strong for over 20 years. Um, but the schools that do actually spend the time to, to teach digital marketing students about this, I think those schools are incredibly special. I think, you know, Drexel, I think uh, Jefferson, you know, bringing somebody in to teach their students about SEO. Why wouldn't they? Why shouldn't they? Like, if this is an, a, a massive industry. You know, there's so much to learn. It absolutely should be a class. Um, so essentially, my class has been, let me give you guys everything I can for, uh, for understanding what SEO is. I start with the history of search engines. I start with how SEO was kind of a technical channel and has moved more into a overall marketing channel. Uh, talk about all the different things that Google does and then how that sort of uh, changes the way that marketers approach Google, how we tie, uh, you know, the idea of, of balancing, um, I almost said manipulating, that would be wrong, but balancing, influencing an algorithm to balancing, you know, uh, uh, humans as well. So that's basically the, the meat of the course. And that's really the 101. I haven't done a, you know, next sort of level class yet. I hope to. One day I want to do like, yeah the deepest you know, uh, tips and tricks on link building and go really deep, but I haven't been able to do that yet, but I hope schools will, you know, open this up to their curriculums. But, um, how did, like, how did that even occur? How, like, did they come to you or did you go to them in terms of saying, Hey, I want to teach a class there. How did that even come to fruition? Yeah, they actually both came to me. Um, yeah. Just usually somebody says, this is something that I think might be worth teaching. And I know this guy, Bill. And he's got a big mouth and he likes to stand in front of the class and talk. So let's see if he wants to do this. And then my last question, and, and because I want to let Jeff and Bill kind of banter back and forth because <laughs> you all know each other better than I do. Um, I would ask, do you feel like, you know, when you get kind of a newer, a newer employee, uh, especially with what you know, being a professor, do you feel like they're coming out of school ready to do SEO on the level that they need to be? No, 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 I don't. Um, they, they, they tend to know a little bit about digital marketing and it's really interesting to me that these classes and I, you know, I studied marketing and it was 1993. I don't even know how old I am to know what year I went to school. Um, but you know, they still seem to teach the same kind of marketing curriculum. They're not doing a whole hell of a great job in, in digital. Digital is so massive. It's so big. And I think they, definitely try to cover it, but they don't get detailed enough. And SEO is really about the details. It is a very nuanced channel. So they're the, the, the young people that I talk to come out of school and say, I, I am ready to start a career in digital marketing. They have to do their, their work. They have to do their homework themselves. I mean, you got to take that degree and you got to jump into the blogosphere and start, you know, finishing your education. Um, you know, at Green Lane, if we get somebody in like that, we're gonna we're gonna do our damnedest to train them. But we we have to, we always say to them like, we can't teach you everything. This is a hands-on industry. You're going to have to, you know, keep reading, keep doing your homework. But don't just read a blog. You can't learn how to do this from reading a blog. You have to do it. Go build a you know stand up a WordPress site and 
take everything you just read that day and go try to, you know, execute it. And then come up with your own theories and your own, you know, beliefs on what works and what doesn't work. So schools aren't prepared to teach somebody that. I don't think you can teach it, right? It's, it's one, things change, but it's also that tenacity that you just being able to try to break things apart, put it back together, and not being afraid to lose traffic. And, and with a client, everyone's afraid, right? So having your own site is ultra important to, to try things out. I mean, I, I think I need to work on mine a little bit more because <laughs> um, there's so many new things out there that I haven't like, – I try to push through with clients, but being able to have Jake and I are, you know, Jake's a big pusher of us getting uh, like tons of case studies um, and things that we've done and, and actually developing strategies that we plan, like hope will be a case study. And I'm not just, uh, you know, a lot of times I like to throw a lot of things up on the wall and, and we get some of it implemented, some of it not implemented. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough. Um, education is tough with, with um, younger folks, especially I think in the bigger agency, there's so many other things out there too. Like if you're just in digital marketing, I mean, you have paid organic social. I think a lot of kids come out of school thinking social is the big thing because, and it's big, I'm not saying social is not big, but it's they're They live their life on Snapchat or TikTok, and, and they want to be an influencer and they think it's, it's a sexy position and then you get into it and, and, uh, and SEOs, I think, um, to me, it's like we, we have to know a lot more overall as in, like, we're dealing with some UX issues. We're dealing with technical issues. We're dealing with content issues. And those are all specialties um, that, like, there's content writers, right? And they don't want to hear from an SEO <laughs> that they need to write content different. And developers, um, this was kind of, you know, we ran into the, our things at, at GSI where developers didn't want to implement things for us and would charge us. Like we had an internal billing between development and, and SEO. And I, I just wanted to update the title tag of a homepage and that developer there wanted to charge me something like $5,000 to update it or something. Um, and then he posted on his Facebook, you know how to get rid of an SEO? Charge them 10 times the amount it really costs to implement something. And it's like, great. We're on the same team. <laughs> uh, but I think education there would have been a great thing. So like not necessarily education through the adjunct, you know, professor or college route, but internal education, I think is something that we all can do better. Um, and, and, and stuff like that. What are, do you have at Green Lane, do you have like a set um, guidance on education inside of the you know agency? Like if you have someone new come in, do you have things pre-made like you bring them through like week one you're going to learn these things week two you're going to learn this or is it more um here's maz's beginner's guide and and let's get to reading we do now we didn't in the beginning um maddie on our team has put together an, an incredibly on a, a incredibly great onboarding um package but yeah i mean we <laughs> i didn't want it to be trial by fire i didn't want people to come in and it's like oh just jump in but I guess in hindsight, we were doing that a little bit, you know, we always try to bring in really experienced people. So it's like plug and play, but there's training. I'm okay with training to get the the team all to see the way that we do it as green lane. Um, then you got to figure out what training do you need to give somebody uh, to do their job better. And then sometimes there's what training do you need to give them so that they're caught up in the industry? You know, I don't really, if, if somebody comes out like Bert, I really don't want to do a, internal training on what is BERT. I kind of hope the team goes and, and self-studies so that we can come back and say, now, how does BERT actually, how does this make a, a change to something that we're going to do for a client to be successful? 
that's where I would rather spend the training time because you only get so much time in a day and all my, you know, team members, they, they have, you know, clients, they, they have to still work their clients. They have to do the, the things that I ask them to do, uh, you know, as the owner of a company, and then they're going to have to spend some more time. They're going to have to carve out some more time to make sure that they're educating themselves. It's definitely a That's tough it. industry. It's rewarding, but it's tough. Agreed. Do you have uh, other kind of meetings or kind of like uh, weekly things where it's like educational brown bag lunch type of things or um, where maybe coworkers are teaching coworkers? Um, are there anything set up like that? Yeah, we do those. Um, Sebastian, who you know as well, he created a, a, a team meeting for all the SEOs to come and, and show something that they've done that was amazing um, and then sort of uh, dissected and explain why it was amazing. Um, I think that's really helpful for the other SEOs. It, it's, we do another thing we call it all hands day. It's sometimes it's a one day event. Sometimes it's a two day event where our team's coming and, and um, showing uh, basically their, their small little webinars, just sharing them with the team. So we're all kind of learning from each other at least once a month in a big way, but usually it's something uh, every week. And we use Slack a lot. So we have a channel in Slack that, that people can share information with and say, hey, here's something I read. Here's what it means. Here's something I did with a client. So even at that level, I mean, there's constant new stuff coming through. That's awesome. So we're in a, a weird situation now, right, where everyone's kind of on lockdown and, and working remote. I think I remember Green Lane was like a two or three day in the office and like like Monday through Wednesday in the office and Thursday, Friday from home. Yep. Is that the way it's always set up? Yep. I, that's I like that idea because someone who's a hun- mostly a hundred percent remote now, I kind of sometimes miss the office. So I like that idea of being kind of it with your, your people and giving people that kind of three days in the office, two days home, I think is a really good way to kind of mix that up a little bit. So you still get the team camaraderie, but you also have those days you can get home and just put your headphones on and, and, and rock out. I think it's grind. Yeah. It's a big wake up. Yeah. I think it's a big wake up call for a lot of companies that weren't offering remote work. Um, and now they're struggling to kind of figure out like what service do we need to use and things like that. Um, but no Slack is one of those ones where we really, um, we use a ton here in the office and, um, sometimes it can be a little time waster <laughs> um, if you're getting into like, you know, everyone throwing memes and stuff like that up on there. But at the same time, it's really great for um, having those dedicated channels. Each client, we have a channel um, and, and each, you know, kind of service level, we have a channel and um, that way we can ask like service level questions or company level questions. And then there's the general water cooler channel in Slack. That is just, um, that's where all the shenanigans happen. Yeah, we have we have a water cooler channel too. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be a, honest. Is it a quench quench water cooler? No, channel? no, no. Uh. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, when and you may not know this. So when I left GSI and you came in and I went to start my solo consulting thing, I failed at it. And I failed at it because I was not good at working alone from home. I wasn't ready. I, I just couldn't get it together. So I had to come back and see people and work with people. Um, now when we hire people, it's the, the, one of the number one questions I ask, like, do you think you can work from home? Can you do this? Can you pull this off? Like you are going to be needed. You're going to need to be available and you're going to have all these freedoms and, you know, we basically give you enough rope to, to do what you want, but you know, you can also hurt yourself. So we've, we've had a few cases where some of our team wasn't really able to pull it off and you have to identify and say, ah, you, you're not the right fit, unfortunately, but yeah, right now we're at a spot where everybody can can everybody's proven that they can do 
work from home pretty well. So this uh, situation where we're all working from home now was really nothing different for us. So I think this is a good this is a good point before we move on to news. So for us three, we've been able to work from home for a long time, but there are a lot of people in a lot of different jobs, not just SEO, but uh, in agencies who are used to going into the office or who might be in-house, who are used to going into the office that are now being forced to just be at home almost exclusively. Um, well, what advice would you give to people who are not, that's just not their thing or they're not used to it? Stick with your routine, wake up, get a shower, have breakfast, you know, don't say, Hey, here's a chance to sleep in and I can do my first calls in my pajamas because you, you tend to sort of feel like you don't have any structure and it's harder to get things done when you don't have a structured day. Yeah, I tried to get out for lunch. Well, I was trying to get out for lunch and, and things like that. That way it felt like I was leaving the office for a little bit <laughs> and coming back and, and stuff like that. It's It took me a little while. I mean, I've been working remote a little bit over a year now, and, and like I feel like I'm in the swing of it now. But at the same time, it's uh, even having that work remote attitude, now it's like the whole family's here too on top of that. So you're juggling something else. And I think we're all kind of seeing some of that with the kids staying home from school and trying to homeschool them at the same time. But. Oh my God. There's not enough hours in the day. Um, I, I would, I would agree. I would agree. I think the routine piece is, is big and making sure that your day is structured. Uh, a couple of things that I would add on top of that. Um, one it's, it's not applicable as much right now because you can't really go outside, but, I would say try to get out of your house and I mean, you can, even now you can still go take a walk and do things. But like for me, there were times where I realized for days at a time, because I worked at home, wasn't leaving my house. And I was like, well, I'm going to go crazy. I need to get out of my house. I need to just for the sake of change and sanity, try to get out of your house, go take a walk, go do something. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is, um, Make your lunch your time because it gets really easy when you're working from home to just work all day and to sit in front of the computer all day. Um, and while you may get more work done, you know, fewer distractions, um, it's not necessarily super healthy. So one of the things I do is I take, uh, I take my lunch time uh, and I use it to work out and to just focus on personal development in, in that way. Cause when else am I going to have, especially with three kids, when else am I going to have time to exercise? So like, I know that that's my me time and you can use it for other things. You don't have to be like me. Um, but you do have to have some me time because I know like for me, I'm, I'm transitioning from in the morning, get, get all the kids up, get them ready, go to work. And, and, uh, you know, in the, in the way that things were before with, uh, with kids going off to school and wife going off to work, like all day was my me time. Well, I don't have any me time anymore. I'm immediately transitioning, going upstairs because my office is in the basement and immediately like right back into the fire in terms of, uh, you know, going right back in and handling all of my responsibilities as a parent, cooking dinner, doing all those things. So there's not a lot of time for me time. So if you get a chance, like carve out some me time. And the other thing I would say is try to have a dedicated workspace. Like don't work from your bedroom if you can, or um, if you, you know, 
find a space where you can be uh, sort of separated, where there, mm-hmm. where there's um, an opportunity for you to think without distractions, without noise, and make sure, especially if your family's home right now, that they have a healthy respect for the fact that you're at work. And it's a very oh, yeah. serious thing. Um, and I know that's difficult right now, especially if you have kids who may want to come in and out of your office and distract you or get you to play or whatever. Um, but you do have to make sure that like, hey, daddy's at work. I've got to take this seriously. Um, that you have like a healthy, healthy balance and a, and a healthy level of separation where people realize you're at work and it's a serious thing. So yeah. that, that's just my but, but it is also an- fun sometimes when your kids barge in and oh, don't get me wrong. I, I come give I, you a big I, hug. I love my kids and it is <laughs> yeah. a great, it is a great distraction sometimes, but yeah. when it, no, when but when you're, you're on the call and trying to, trying to focus, having your <laughs> daughter come in and ask daddy, can I have your phone? Is that necessary? <laughs> Ellie, is that necessary? Really? Do you really need my phone? <laughs> my kids are always like, dad, can I get a snack? <laughs> yeah, good. that it's that type of stuff. Let's go get a snack. I'm on, I'm on a call. <laughs> Yes, you don't. I, have would, I would suggest this too. I mean, it's something we've been doing these last couple of weeks while we've been home. Um, we we have times where everybody just sort of gets together and we just talk, you know. And as a business owner, you're like, "Well, that's not time to work." And nah, you know what? It's really important to to be able to get yep. that time and just just talk. Like we have stand-ups in the beginning of every every day. That's how we kick off our day. We go around the room. Everybody talks about what they're working on. And we just coordinate that way. Well, that's supposed to be, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Some of ours now have been going like 45 minutes. Um, Friday, <laughs> we took this from GSI, Friday at 4 o'clock, we now all get onto Zoom um, and we just talk. We just bullshit. Yeah. We just talk. Mm-hmm. And we remind each other that, you know, who that we're, we're still very close. We're still very, uh, you know, we're, we're a family. We have to just stay connected on a personal level. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important. And I hope business owners and business leaders are considering that that is absolutely something that they they need to encourage in their in their company during these times yeah, yeah at, at search discovery we we have whiskey wednesdays so yeah. every wednesday at four thirty, in the offices like um the company buys a bottle of whiskey and we sit around and, and we drink it and then um but now we're doing it virtual so it it is sometimes hilarity happens when you have like 30 people on zoom that are drinking. Uh, so it's always a fun time. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's really hard to get any uh, real conversation going, but it, it's um, again, new times, trying new things and, and having, if you were remote, you could always zoom into the office when they were having their whiskey Wednesday, but it was always like people in the office talking and you're like remote. Um, now since everyone's remote. Yeah. Now it's like the Brady bunch. You have like everyone's picture up. It's like Brady bunch, but with 30 people. All these little thumbnails watching everybody and just like the people who virtual backgrounds. And now uh, if you don't know, Snapchat has a, um, has a camera app that for your computer. So you can do all the Snapchat filters on zoom. Hilarious. So, we, yeah. So we've had some hilarious, uh, you know, you could become like a pickle or a potato or have like toilet paper on your head or change your face. So um, it's, it's, that just adds to the, the hilariousness, hilariousness of other things. But um, it also uh, eventually, you know, we got to get back to business. <laughs> but I right now my, I think people are going delirious. <laughs> my favorite one is the, the filter where you're, the person is looking from the outside into the microwave and there's just pizza spinning and all you see is their <laughs> eyes. It's so hilarious. It's so distracting. 
Yeah, I we had the person doing that yesterday, and I'm I'm just like, you're gonna have to stop because I just I can't even focus with you doing that filter. <laughs> it was too funny. Oh, all right, let's move on to the news. Let's move on to the news. Yeah. Cool. So there's you know in these troubling times, there's been some rays of sunshine, we'll call them. But um, so another Philly boy, uh, Will Reynolds from Sierra Interactive is basically coming up with, I think he has like 150K that he's going to be offering to his uh, employees that anyone who has been affected by the, um, you know, being laid off if you're co- like, I think it's mostly because you're working for him, you have a job, but like if your wife or um, partner or, or, or someone like that, or mom got laid off from their job, he will match the stimulus package with uh, 1.2K, I think. Uh, well, not matching it totally, but giving 1.2K. I think he did $15 an hour, 40 hours a week for three weeks, and is offering that up to um, people in his company to help them get through some of these times there. And then uh, Ross Hudgens um, has also – was that? P2P alum, page two podcast okay. alum right there. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, hopefully Will will be an alum one day too. We'll get him on. Uh, but yeah, from Seize Media, he's uh, he's also doing the same thing to him. So uh, where they're offering, you know, 1.2 or $1,200. I don't know why it's written 1.2, <laughs> but $1,200 to, to that, to anyone's like partners that have been um, affected from that. So um, if we're going to see, I think uh, a lot of stimulus checks going out to kind of help the economy, but what's even better than helping like the whole economy is helping like you're not better, but as a company helping your, you know, people out there, it's, it's a tough time. And a lot of people just can't work. Right. It's not like you don't want to work. Restaurants are closed. Bars are closed. All those type of jobs are, are, are kind of gone right now. So it's really good to see companies stepping up and offering help to their employees that might be affected by this. Yeah. No, have, oh, go ahead, Bill. We have a couple of clients. Um, I'd love to tell you the one, but you know, the stuff they're doing, I know is costing them money. Because they're they're basically using their warehouse to build things, you know. To I got to be cryptic, but building they're they're building things to help medical professionals go and and take care of everyone, and definitely cost them money. There's a lot of ways that I'm seeing companies doing really cool things, altruistic things, you know. Um, sometimes they're not even broadcasting, and you just hear about them. That's awesome. Like that's it's such a great thing to see companies do that at their cost, because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw I, an article. Go ahead. Jake. Oh, I was going to say, I just think it's what's great about it is for companies that are in a position to do this, it, one, that's awesome. But not all companies that are in a position to do this, do it. Um, and I just think that it's uh, a stellar, especially within our industry, example of just really rock solid leadership and even more than that, empathy um, and thinking beyond your own employees, but thinking of their you know, their family, friends, partners, parents, whatever is, it just kind of blew my mind um, a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, we just wanted to bring it up because it it really deserves some recognition and uh, attention and kudos, kudos to them for stepping up. Right. And Will is, is really big into charities and, and like uh, Sierra Interactive in a whole does tons of good things with the community. So, so that's awesome. But, um, like even companies like Bauer who makes ice skates and hockey helmets, like right now no one's buying any of that stuff. So they're actually repurposed a lot of their technology to create 
like those shields that go over uh, technicians' faces. So when people are doing testing and stuff like that, um, there's a ton of companies. There's uh, I used to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and um, you follow the account of a, a gi maker, so like the, the little karate outfit that people wear. <laughs> um, but they're actually doing like recycling a lot of their stuff because of the materials they use and all they really needed was the plastic shield um, to kind of cover that. And then they're, they're kind of creating face masks and stuff also that are um, made out of their materials, but they're just like, no one's buying stuff right now. And they have the capital to be able to just help out and help the local things because honestly, like there's a lot going on where we just can't get the supplies that we need. There's such a demand. Um, and that's kind of all about flattening the curve attitude where we're trying to keep it, you know, for our, our systems from going so wonky. So it's great to see um, companies not being forced. Like I think GM's being forced to make ventilators, um, seeing companies just step up and try to, to get out there and, and, and help as much as they can and, and help locally. Cool. So another thing in the news is, um, so, and this is one, I think we were talking a little bit earlier um, that not every affiliate got it, but Amazon is starting to ask affiliates to pause their marketing campaigns um, we're seeing a lot with Amazon now because they're, they are a uh, essential kind of business for people to that actually don't want to who don't want to go outside. I've been using Amazon grocery delivery and stuff for for a long time now because I'd rather just click some buttons to get my groceries brought in. Um, but it's really hard to get delivery time. So we're I have a delivery coming tomorrow. I think like 8 p.m., but I had to order it on Friday morning to be able to get Sunday afternoons. Like it used to be, I'd get the same day or, or you know, early the next day. Um, so there's, and, and buying products, I went to buy something the other day and it was saying April 21st was when they would actually be able to ship it um, because they're trying to ship the essential stuff first. Uh, so they're kind of asking their affiliates to, like if you are an affiliate for anything that's not essential, like, can you try to stop sending traffic to our site over that type of stuff? Um, they're not like, going to penalize you or anything, but they're just saying, you know, they need to serve the, the you know, the most urgent customers needs first. Um, so they're asking like, if you can promote that. And I know Bill, you said you didn't get these emails, but I'm wondering maybe if uh, your, your affiliate sites are doing essential things. Uh, no, no, they're selling, <laughs> <laughs> they're selling pet products. Well, maybe they're essential to some, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't get that email, and, and I'm curious about it because I know some have. Um, so are they asking you to not – I mean, they're not asking you to, to remove your affiliate links. They're just saying don't, you know, arbitrage, right. don't, you know, push. Okay. Yeah, they're basically saying, like, they, they're asking you to, like, if you're running paid against your affiliate sites or you're doing things like that, like, they're kind of asking to try to pause all your marketing actions to stop getting people through. So, um which I, I guess it's a thing. They didn't say they were going to like stop. I thought they were going to say like no more affiliates <laughs> um, for the time being, but they, they didn't say that. So I think they're still going to go through with the affiliate programs. They're just asking you to kind of, if you can, let's push that out. So cool. Um, and then uh, kind of the last thing we have on the list here is uh, Google came out with some technical guidelines on how to pause your online business. So if you are a business that's affected and you can't um, deliver things out anymore or your, your kind of company is being um, locked down, there's, there's some things that we can do. And, and um, some of the lists they went through on e-commerce sites are like if you can't sell or ship products, maybe disable the cart functionality so people can't try to buy stuff through you. Um, put up a display banner. I think every website now has a, some sort of pop-up or 
banner across the top about um, their COVID plans. Um, but if you don't, that's something that you can put up there. I, I know like um, I talked last week about it, but I found a little coffee roaster that I, that I really have been enjoying their coffee locally and um, they're being affected by this, but they're doing online orders. Um, and they don't really mention that. Well, like you can't go to the store anymore because the store is closed. Um, so I reached out, didn't hear anything back yet, but I want to, I was like, want to offer some of my services to them for free just to be able to get them to a right spot so that they don't lose as much business. And it's mostly because I, I want their coffee. Um, I found like it was really, really good. So I want to be able to kind of keep that around. But the idea is that like they right now, like if you can't ship things out, you want to kind of try to block some of that or check your merchant feeds to see if you're not like paid search is one that's been kind of going on these days where if you're still selling paid search and going crazy on that um, to an industry that's not really doing well right now. Um, you know, you might just be losing money. You know, we, we have some clients that are killing it right now just because of they were, um, you know, selling either home gyms or something that people are kind of are really jumping into now. But if you're a company, um, my wife does real estate stuff and um, it, it is interesting because no, like you're not taking anyone out for showings right now. <laughs> you're not taking anyone out for anything. So I've been really, working with her trying to say like, let's work on your personal brand. Let's work on like building out your website and getting ready for when the things start flowing again. But as it, as it is right now, it's um, you know, if you're running paid search against your real estate agency, you might not be getting the return that you wanted because people aren't going to be going out looking at homes right now. So. So, so I have a few, a few thoughts on this. So it seems like there are things you can do, like structured data, for example. I guess one of the questions I would ask you guys um, when it comes to structured data, and then I want to get also to what Google said about if you just need to shut your site off completely, how to do it right, because I think that this is important because it could become a big issue for people after the pandemic is over if they do it wrong. Um, If you're a site that takes a long time to get technical changes done, but you need to change your structured data to maybe let people let people know in search results that you're out of stock or or things aren't for sale or just whatever you know whatever you need to do to make the the change to the structured data to just let people know that things are unavailable um, given how quickly this has to be turned around and how um I I mean, I guess that this could go on for months, but I guess my question is if you're a brand that takes three months, four months, five months to get technical changes implemented, like, should you even attempt to do that? I think so. Absolutely. You just, Hey, this is now a P1 ticket. This is something we have to prioritize above all things. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't disagree, but I just wonder if there are brands that even when it's a high, high priority ticket would still take a long time and it, the pandemic would almost be over by the time they get it implemented. Um, gosh, yeah. It's Let's a tough go. one because everybody's different. I mean, I've seen companies be able to move really fast when that ticket is ready to be you know, fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen companies that just take a lot longer and yeah. every company's totally yeah. different. And then let's, let's talk about a little bit about shutting the site down. And I'm just, I'm going to read a, a little bit verbatim uh, from Barry's article and then maybe we can talk about it. So if you must disable your whole website, which Google highly discourages and does not recommend, Google says this is an extreme measure that should only be taken for a very short period of time at 
a few days at most, as it will otherwise have significant effects on the website in search, even when implemented proper, uh, properly. Here are some options Google said when doing this. If you need to urgently disable the site for one to two days, then return an informational error page with a 503 HTTP result code instead of all content. Make sure to follow the best practices for disabling a site. Uh, bullet two, if you need to disable the site for a longer time, then provide an indexable homepage as a placeholder for users to find in search by using a 200 HTTP status code in bullet three. If you quickly need to hide your site and search while you consider the options, you can temporarily remove a website from search. So I guess what would be the scenarios for you guys in which you would do that? And if there, if there's advice kind of outside of that, you know, those three main bullets, I don't know, what would you advise if your clients are coming to you saying, Hey, um, we need to shut down, shut down. What are the, what are the ramifications short-term and long-term? Jeff, what are you thinking there? Cause that is such a tough thing. I'm thinking about like what Victoria's secrets just did. Like uh, I, we don't have any e-com sites that need to shut down. Um, right. You know, some of the, the local services that we have, they're pausing. Um, but there's no need yet for us to, to take the site offline, to, to hide it from yeah, search. You know, agreed. we're just putting up the right messaging saying, Hey, here's the situation. Here's where we are. Um, I know Victoria's secrets. They, they made some uh, interesting choices with their site, but now their site is back up and fully functional except for the cart. And, and I was toying with it. I, I wasn't buying anything from there. Nothing there suits me, but you know, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what they did and, and, Maybe it's different now, but when I looked at it, the car, it, it was a usability problem. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was adding things, and then I was like, oh, wait, I'm not really able to check out. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different approaches. It really just depends on what best works for your business, but this is the mm -hmm. time to talk to an SEO. I mean, don't make any decisions without uh, an SEO being able to weigh in, especially this time. Agreed. I, I don't see any reason to take down a site unless, like, you're – company's gone um though messaging i think is huge and important and and again if you're trying to take down a you know not have any orders then don't let them order but don't take down your product pages and stuff just have messages on it maybe remove the add to cart button right and, and just say um temporary hold um and i know at search discovery we had a client who kind of paused um for a few days on their um just orders because they had so many orders that they couldn't fulfill them and they needed like two or three days to just catch up on things. Um, and, and again, as a as a business, like that's amazing news. Um, you know, it just stinks that it took like a, a pandemic to, to do that. But at the same time, it, it's one of those things where they, uh, you know, they actually had to pause their stuff just because they couldn't do it. But I would never say like, take down your website over that. Uh, I'm trying to, I don't know a reason why you would take it down unless you, it was something that was like, totally false or, or really messing something up um, out there in search land or in, in the world. Um, you know, I think some of Trump's tweets might should be taken down <laughs> and 503 and somewhere else. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't know about a whole website in general. I think, uh, but again, I, I can't think of every scenario. None of my scenarios would actually do that. So, yeah, yeah. I, 
I would agree. And, you know, it's funny. I wish sometimes we would have more disagreements, but it seems like we all think, uh, think alike. So I can't, yeah. I'm sure that there are scenarios where taking the site down is a viable option. But I think what I would advise if somebody came to me is one, um, don't, don't panic. Um, you still, if you're planning to be around after the pandemic, you still have to think about the long-term ramifications of whatever exactly. you might do now, because doing something crazy now might hurt you, you know, when this is over. Um, yeah. I agree. There are things you can do on the site to make it very clear um, that, you know, whether it be messaging or disabling the shopping cart or saying, Hey, we're temporarily out of stock, out of stock due to high demand or just whatever the case may be. There are things you can do on the site to let people know that like, Hey, this is only temporary due to COVID-19 and we're going to be back in business um, before long. But I would say like, it's absolutely the time to talk to an SEO because not, not only can they help you understand, uh, you know, what you need to do or should you take the nuclear option versus not in terms of blowing up your site. Um, but if you do decide to take your site down and a good SEO is going to be able to help you do it in a way uh, that is going to reduce the risk long-term most uh, by following, hopefully by following Google's guidelines. But um, because I know that there are a lot of people that would maybe talk to an SEO and maybe decide to take their site down and then do it technically wrong. Um, so I think it is important that if you have an SEO that you trust, uh, let them help you through the whole process. Because I, I've always said, like, most people think our job is just growing traffic, and that's not the case. Um, sometimes our job is to protect, protect the traffic you have. Um, and this would be one of those cases. So, Agreed. Jeff, um, why don't we move on to the deep dive? I uh, just want to be respectful of everybody's time. So uh, our deep dive today is on how to make better reports. Um, and I want to approach this from a few different uh, angles. One, the idea of just presenting reports and how that can be um, some part art and part science and in, in um, the experience of presenting to executives and giving them the information that they need versus maybe more day-to-day -day contacts because that is totally different. Um, I want to talk about KPIs, dashboards, you know, which, which KPIs are the right KPIs, what dashboarding tools and visualization tools are the best ones to use. And um, maybe even looking into like the difference between insights and observations. Can you guys hear my kids singing? It's amazing. Yeah, the singing queen. It's the greatest. He is singing queen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go on mute and go tell him to be be quiet or singing just further away from my office. Uh, but I'll leave you guys with uh, with this question. Um, one, how do you start from a reporting standpoint? Like, where do you start the conversation, and how do you, as an SEO, especially if you're new, get used to the idea of presenting your, your data. So that's, these are, I love these questions. So reporting in my mind, I think <laughs> I'm going to go back to the old GSI days, Jeff. So the one thing that I don't agree you should ever do is just sort of make these reports and be like, here's a whole bunch of numbers and throw them over to the client and then read the reports to the client. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like 10, 15 years ago, that, that's what we used to do. Once a month, it was reporting time. And 
We yeah. didn't have the APIs and everything to make the reports fast. We had to do these exports by hand out of Omniture and all those tools that we were using then. And then I yeah. felt like, oh no, it's that time of the month where I have to read the report. And we never really did those deep, you know, analytical dives. We never really pulled out insights. And right. I guess at some point I realized, well, that really sucks. Would that we can do that differently. So the the way that mm-hmm. I look at reporting now is with the great technology that we have, with everything being able to be ported in through an API. We I don't know if you guys use um, uh, uh, Data Studio, but like it, it makes building these reports so easy once you learn how to do it, that you never have to spend time. And a lot of time, the time that you're spending is time the client is paying for. Uh, you never have to spend that time putting this thing together. Now you have all the data in front of you. You could spend that same amount of time it used to take us to build these reports, analyzing those reports, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going in and it's saying, you know, uh, here's the data. And then the client says, okay, what does the data mean? Um, you say, well, it says traffic is down. You take that to the next step. Well, traffic is down now. I've dug in a client. I see traffic is down on these 10 pages per se, you know, and then they're down on these 10 pages because it turns out Google has changed the SERPs for these pages. Google has changed the intent and it looks like your competitors. So there's, you could just keep on going down rabbit holes. And that's what I think the importance of reports are the insights. That's the most important thing. And in, in our company, i like the idea of the reports being just as valuable for my team as it is for the, you know, the business or the decision makers at the other end of the phone call, because they need to understand the website that deeply. It's another great benefit of having reports. Um, A lot of times people will ask me when we're talking about, you know, maybe working together, you know, you know, do you guys do SEO reports? Yeah. Kind of every SEO company does some kind of SEO report. Um, the, the value really is taking that report and customizing it towards the goals of the client, towards the KPIs of the client, breaking that sort of scalable format that every client would get the same thing. And that's where I think the work should be put in. It's in insights and customizing towards KPIs and not the data collection. We have the technology to do the data collection in a snap. Yeah, no, and that's something that's somewhat newer, right, over the last four or five years where, or even probably newer than that, where um, Data Studio is amazing. We uh, at Search Discovery use um, we're Domo Partner. Um, we use Datarama. We also use, uh, if we have to, uh, Tableau. Um, so that dashboarding stuff out there is, it's kind of, there's a million of them out there. Data Studio I love because it is easy. It integrates with Google stuff very easy. Um, we also are a big Adobe shop, so um, doesn't work with Adobe as well. But there are kind of all those plugins you can put in. I use one called Supermetrics, which helps automate a lot of that pulling data there. And um, so if I needed to pull in Adobe Analytics stuff into there, I can just pull that in no problem. Um, but yeah, there, it's the the collecting the data is easy. It is my struggle with any type of reporting is that insight, right? How can we get data? And I think I'm cynical and, and maybe a lot of SEOs are I like anytime I say like data, like, Oh, take this one with a grain of salt because this was from search console and we never know if search console is right. Uh, <laughs> and things like that, because at least they're, I think they're getting a lot better with their data, but at sometimes, you know, they might be two weeks behind on their data. So, um, Going through, like making sure we do have the correct KPIs. I think we all have the basic ones, uh, you know, traffic and bounce rates and things like that. But uh, every customer or, or client has a different, like, really goals and events set up and, and setting those in there. Um, how do you work on? Uh, I mean, do you have like a standard, like, 
dashboard that you start with and then you customize from there? Or do you have a lot of, um, you know, do you think of it after you have your client and you're in your, you know, got the KPIs down, do you build a custom dashboard for that client? Yeah, there's a boilerplate to start. And then it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first thing we do when we're working with a, with a new company is we're, we're trying to understand, you know, what are you in business for? Like, what can we add to your business into these reports? And it's funny because sometimes you look at these, these quote SEO reports and you're really reporting on things that aren't usually reported by SEO reports, but you know, SEO is, is kind of woven into all the different marketing channels. It's woven into your business in so many different ways that sometimes the SEO reports can be more than just about rankings and, you know, just about, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it goes a lot deeper than just that, in my opinion, at least these days. Yeah. Do you, what uh, kind of KPIs do you put in? I mean, again, beyond the standard ones, um, what type of KPIs do you find in your your basic kind of standard template? It again, it depends on the client, right? So if you have one that's yeah. really trying to do email acquisition, there might be some KPIs about that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it all depends. I mean, the easiest one to do is is ecom because ecom they're always interested in the moolah, right? But a lot yeah. of other companies they're looking to achieve other things. And yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really kind of fun to to do SEO against some of the non-traditional targets. It's a bit challenging, so I'm always welcoming to somebody who uh, who has some sort of business model and, and it's different than usual because I like to build strategies for things that are that are different than usual. So yeah. I just make sure that I'm reporting on them. I know I'm being a little vague because I can't think of any you know real yeah. examples that I wouldn't have to explain all the way through and take too much time, but. Hopefully that made some yeah. sense. So, so in SEO reporting, like you said, like we SEO kind of expand as expanding, you know, and some other things. So um, some of the reports that I like to try to put in mine, um, like a performance report, just to say, like kind of like looking at page speeds and stuff like that, um, and, and technical. I mean, being more of a technical SEO in there, like. I, I, it's interesting. I see a lot of times we focus on traffic numbers and stuff like that, but I think site health reporting is also important inside of reports. But I think a lot of SEO reports that I've seen don't really focus on that at all because it is really just here's your sessions, here's your rankings, and and there's your report. Um, but there's so much more to it. So being able to integrate things like Deep Crawl or Screaming Frog into a report, um, like Deep Crawl, you can use the API to pull in or Screaming Frog, just export out data into sheets um, to be able to find out like um, like broken link reports or, or things like that, which could help. Like this is a report I sent to my to the technical team. This is a report that gets sent to the CEO of teams. And, and um, I, it's funny because I find myself sometimes like I love data. So I, at the end of the day, I look at my report and I'm like, there's so much data in here. Um, how do I present this to my clients? Um, and I end up now kind of with a lot of my clients just taking pieces out, putting them in a presentation. We all have the dashboard. We can all see the, the craziness, but here's the insights that we want to give you. So these are the numbers that we see here, and here's the insights of why that's happening. Um, and, and I kind of make it a lot of times in presentation reports. Um, but the dashboard just helped me merge things together and look at things that are in a like looking at them like search console data next to GA data next to your ranking data um, is really great for using data studio to pull that all together. So a lot of, a lot of our clients are real. Oh, sorry, Jake. (laughs) I was just going to comment on that. I mean, a lot of our clients are really trusting us to tell them the things they don't know, you know, so you make a great point. The technical things like that change a lot. 
So you need to be reporting on, on those changes, but you have to be able to say to the client, this is why I'm reporting on it. This is what it means. And, you know, here's the plan that we're going to now employ to try to improve this. So all of those are part of the, the, uh, the, the real value of a report. You got to show the why and you got to show, you know, what you're going to do about it. And you got to be able to explain it to the client in a way this might be part of the, uh, you know, art versus science because it is a little bit like performing. You have to be able to understand your audience and then describe it in a way that they can walk away and really truly get it. I mean, I've done my share of read out of reports and I've known that the person on the other end of the line is just completely glazed over and doesn't know what to make yeah. of it because I didn't do a good enough job of explaining what I was actually the reason I was bringing all this to their attention. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the table stakes version of reporting is KPIs, dashboards, uh, so on and so forth, and putting that in front of people and making that information available. But what really separates um, a really good SEO or a really good company, and I say this on the analytics side because there are a lot of analytics folks that are really good at implementing stuff. But when it comes to looking at the data and providing insights and understanding what's going on and why and being able to relate that back to your campaign, that's where a lot of them fall completely short. So I think that as an SEO, you've got to be able to have a deep enough understanding of what's going on with your strategy, what's going on in the industry, what's going on with that particular brand, what are the economic conditions, and, and factoring all of those things in to the data and then interpreting that based on everything that you know that you're doing. And I think the best SEOs are able to make that connection and then make the story very personal to the audience that they're speaking to. And I will say one of the things that I personally struggle with is differentiating the report for the level of person. And when I say I struggle, um, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm very good at talking to mid-level uh, or, you know, very boots on the ground sorts of folks. And where I tend to struggle is leveling things up high enough for an executive who only has a short amount of time or maybe only cares about the vanity metric and doesn't care about all the context behind it. And I'm the type of person that always wants to give them the context, the here's why. And sometimes I struggle when I run into executives that don't want to know that or that don't care to know that. Um, so that, that is a, a struggle. And I will say that, you know, 14 years into my career, I feel like at the beginning of my career, um, and I think SEOs, especially if you're at the beginning of your career, it can be very intimidating to walk into a room and deliver a report or deliver a monthly or a quarterly um, or a business, you know, a business review, whatever, whatever the case may be. And what I, the advice I would give is it takes a lot of at bats uh, and there's, there's almost no way to feel more comfortable than by continually throwing yourself into the fire. And I would say that even 14 years in, uh, there are times when I still do get nervous reporting out results. And, and, and I think that that's the most important, the most important part. What, what I said, what Bill said is the idea of giving them the information that they need to know in a way that they can consume it and understand it. Um, 
And I would say that it, it takes repetitions, it takes at bats, and I feel a lot less nervous now than I did before. Um, but I think for people listening, if you're early on in your career and you're feeling like nervous, especially when you're about to deliver bad news, um, it is completely normal to to feel to feel that way. So I don't know, like what advice would you give for people that are maybe on the on the, the newer end of the greener end of the spectrum, so to speak, when it comes to delivering out uh, valuable reports? I think number one, you got to make sure you know that site inside and out, right? It, it, treat it like it was your own. So if you have five clients, make sure you know everything about that site. Maybe you even know more about that site than the person you're talking to. So once you start to feel really confident about the site, um, it makes those conversations a lot easier, I think. You know, you can you could just, when you go, I, I remember going into calls and I was just like, you know, I didn't spend enough. I really secretly know I didn't spend enough time really understanding this client, this client's business to have a off the cuff conversation with them. Cause you want to go in organic and you want to go in and be able to talk to talk and really understand what your, uh, your, your client's all about. Um, you know, and then again, that's part of going through the site and spending a lot more time analyzing the site than just pulling the data. Um, you know, and SEO is one of those things where there's always ups and downs. Nobody stays number one forever. Even doing the greatest things in the world, you sometimes wake up and the algorithm has shifted you and you've moved. That's part of the game. And, and understanding the game um, as, a, uh, as an SEO is part of it. The other part is being able to teach your clients how it works. You know, because you certainly have had the same clients as I. And, you know, they're like, how did this happen? What have you done? This must be, you must have done something. Nah. You know, we can't make Google do anything. We can only influence them, you know? So things are going to happen. So now we've seen this happen. This is what we're now going to do to influence them to get them back to where they were or better than where they were. As a consultant, you have to be so confident and, and believe in that. Because if, if you don't believe it yourself, then you can't talk to the, to the client and, and really, uh, you know, sell it through, sell the truth through. And that makes a whole sort of uncomfortable dynamic when you're not that confident. So you got to be confident, confident in your skills, confident in the site, confident in the strategies that you're recommending, and then it's much easier to go to bat. Have you guys ever had experience with, um, and there's a specific type of personality that you're dealing with, and um, I, I don't know exactly what to, what to call it, but where you're working with a client, um, sometimes at the executive level, and it's almost like they smell blood in the water, so to speak, when they, when they realize that you're not feeling totally confident, or even if you are feeling totally confident, they want to just challenge you to see how you react and try to put you on your, your heels. Have you guys ever experienced that? Definitely. And yeah. I guess, how do you, how do you push back against that? Like, what do you do when that happens? Well, my first question is, why did you hire us if you don't like, you know, what we're bringing to the table here? <laughs> well, that's maybe one of the things you can't say, but you're thinking. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if they're doing that for any other reason, if they're trying to be combative or they're not happy with the relationship, I mean, some of that can, can leak in sometimes. So you just got to, you got to suss that out, get to it. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just, I'm candid. I don't treat it any differently than any conversation with anybody. I have my opinions and beliefs and you've hired me to bring my recommendations to you. These are them. You can take them or not. I hope you do. But, you know, that's just sort of how I approach. I, I said earlier, like a doctor, I sort of think of us as doctors. We come in, we give you the prescription. It's really up to you to take it. Um, we just keep trying to give you all the good, you know, reasons why you should take those, those, uh, those recommendations. 
You're Dr. Feelgood, right? Dr. Feelgood. I go in. <laughs> <laughs> I usually dress like, like Tommy Lee, and I go and I present like a rock star. Um, I guess my one where I cannot feel confident sometimes is, and, and I, I remember this one time very vividly because it was a nightmare of a reporting call, but it's like when Fred update came out, I had one client who was hit by it. Um, I, you know, it, did, it took me a little bit to, to figure that out. Like, but I kind of like overlaid a whole bunch of data of when the Fred update happened and how their data shifted and how it dropped down. Um, and then kind of, you know, gave them like, this is what people were saying about Fred and, and how like, you know, of course it was thin content and <laughs> duplicate content, which they had tons of. Um, and, and I just remember reporting, giving them the reporting because we had, we had really bad numbers down like 20% or something. Um, usually really hard to, to go into a presentation confident when you are down 20%. <laughs> um, but going there and then kind of giving them the, the recommendations and them just going, like, yeah, we're not going to do that um, and stop blaming Google's algorithm on your lack of performance <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's just like, at that point, you're just like, I don't, like, I kind of threw my hands up. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this this happens in SEO and and went through it. And, and then, like, the next meeting wasn't as great either. And I felt like at that point we had uh, lost confidence in, in some of that stuff. And um, I kind of lost confidence in them too. So um, luckily we were able to switch it out and, and switch some teams and um, to be able to kind of instill some more confidence. Um, Cause sometimes at that point, people just want you to be confident whether your answers are, you know, um, not to bring up Trump again, but he's ever, he's so confident in everything he says, whether it's right or wrong. Um, so people love that attitude to it. And I feel like, um, you know, I didn't have that at the time to be able to go through like, no, we got this. This is exactly what we need to do. Um, and when they were kind of questioning stuff, I'm like, listen, like this is, a, we don't know exactly. I'm just going by what other people have done to fix this issue or going through it. And this is kind of our recommendations based on that. Um, and, and sometimes people don't like that answer of like, it depends, <laughs> you know? So, um, which is kind of the SEO answer, I think for some things. It's not a lie, Jeff, if you believe it to quote George Costanza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a lie if you believe it. Uh, and I guess the reason I asked the, the original question is because like, I'm thinking of a particular executive that I ran up against early in my career. And like, even thinking about this guy now, like it still almost brings me to the point of sweating because this guy was one of those people that like, he came into the conversation ready to be any conversation ready to be aggressive and ready to put you on the heels. So anytime you had a talk with him, whether it was just walking through the office or it was like a serious meeting, you had to be ready to be put on your heels and to be challenged. And that is an incredibly, incredibly stressful place to be. And I do remember, and this is like where I'm going to give advice. There were times when I came into the reporting call where I didn't know all the answers uh, or my strategy maybe wasn't as fully baked out as, as it should have been. And this guy was ready for that and was ready to immediately put me on my heels and challenge it. And I would say that I got myself into trouble by pretending to know more than I did for fear of not wanting to come off like an idiot. And sometimes you just have to be like, I don't know, because if you, you know, get into a situation like that and you try to fake it, 
those people are going to know it and they're going to continue to like whittle you down and continue to ask more and more and more questions to force you to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you're really lying to yourself inside about what you know, it's one of those situations where if you tell one lie in order to protect that lie, you've got to tell the second lie and then the third lie. And then how do you remember by the time you get to the end, all the lies you told when, if you were just honest up front and said, look, I don't know the answer to your question, but I'm going to go figure it out. Uh, that would, that answer is just fine. As long as you don't say it too much, it's just, that's a fine answer. And I learned that early in my career that saying, I don't know, uh, can sometimes be just as, uh, just as effective, um, you know, when compared to trying to answer a question that I had no business trying to answer. So if you're early in your career and you don't know the answer, it's okay. Uh, but be willing to, to admit it and then go figure it out. That's what I would say. That guy still makes me sweat. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. You know, before we kind of end the episode, is there, are, are there any other last words when it comes to reporting and, and doing a good job? Last words. I mean, I, I actually think we've made some really good points here. You know, there's, I've seen, you know, we're, we're in the agency world. So sometimes you start working with a client who's worked with another uh, vendor and, you know, you, you see their reporting and, and I do still see a lot of thin reporting out there. Mm-hmm. So last words, maybe that's something that's worth a look every six months or a year. How can your reporting be better and better in all the ways, every single way that we talked about here in the last 20, 30 minutes. So, you know, it, I, I know agencies, we, we typically, my company is a little different than most, but most agencies want to scale right? That's how they make their money. They scale, everybody gets the same thing. There's almost like a script that people are, are taught in some of these companies. Um, I know you're not one of them because I, I know Jeff and I know, but there's a lot of agencies that just, they're just not doing a good job on these fronts and, and they can do yeah. better. And it just takes, pull yourself out of the weeds and, and take a look at your deliverables. Take a look at everything. Make sure it's the best it can be. Spend a little bit of time making them better. Your, your life will be easier. Your job will be easier. You'll retain clients longer. You'll make more money. It's really worth pulling back sometimes and, and just trying to make sure your reporting deliverables are stronger. But not just your reporting deliverables, your tech audit deliverables, you know, your content gap analysis, every single thing. Just make sure that you're, you're looking at those sometimes and making sure that they're yeah. the best they can possibly be. It's so easy to get stuck in the weeds, get stuck in a, a template and just, I filled out my template, I'm done for the month. No, there's more. You are a consultant. You have to be, you know, there for your client, figuring out the answers, you know, this isn't just throwing things over the fence and saying, good luck. It's, it's really understanding your client, helping them reach their goals that you can't right. be mechanical about it. You gotta be, you know, uh, uh you, you gotta be a good consultant and go deep and you gotta learn and you know where I'm going now. Now I'm yeah. blathering because the coffee has kicked in. <laughs> you guys got me yeah. up at nine today. SEOs don't even wake up till <laughs> noon. <laughs> yeah, I was out late last night too. Uh, <laughs> um, so I do have, I guess on, on my side of things is like with reporting, there's, you have your basic reportings and I think trying to make reporting better, right? So we can get those insights um, and have them jump out on the page a little bit easier. So I, I think reporting is, is something that's going to be, 
it's going to be more advanced soon. Um, so we, we talk a lot in SEO about machine learning and you have J.R. Oaks building a mini internet and, and crawlers and trying to figure out how like to know entities on a page. And we know all this like stuff about pages and how to rank better. But I think uh, machine learning and, and AI and things like that were, are really going to help on the analytics side of things where we're going to be able to um, see trends, right? Pull out trends that we can't necessarily see with the eye because some of our sites have a million pages. How can we see trends that are happening on the bottom half of those pages? Um, because, again, your homepage may get a million visits, but if you're selling e-commerce, there might be 50 products that have this weird thing going on, but you don't know what that is. And running uh, machine learning through that and, and being able to pull out some um, trends, positive or negative, um, pulling that in with things like log files. Like that's like kind of a mysterious thing. Everyone says log files, like, oh, look at your log files. Well, I can't get log files ever from, you know, a client that has like, I, I work with a couple of like large retail clients. They're not giving me their log files. I don't know how to get them. I've asked like, hey, can I get a sample of them? <laughs> um, just so we can see how Google's crawling through your site and, and they're really hard to get. Um, Splunk is a tool that people use that, that I can get access to sometimes, but in general, they're hard. But I think kind of the merging of data, um, something you're not going to ever get just out of Google Analytics, but if you take Google Analytics, Search Console, um, your ranking tool, and deep crawl and kind of merge something together, you can start seeing, oh, look, there might be some crawling issues going through these deeper pages, and that's why we see traffic and rankings dropping down um, and things like that, where I think it's really hard to, again, we're, I go through deep holes of clicking, 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 trying to find where issues are, um, which sometimes dashboards can't report on. Um, but in general, I think getting those more advanced reports, I think are going to be, I think it's going to be a specialty inside of, I think it's especially inside of analytics in general, but how SEO is uh, broken into different specialties, content, technical, I think having uh, kind of that, that reporting type of things, um, though it probably wouldn't just be SEO specific, probably be SEO paid search, things like that. But knowing even how those two play, like, hey, we just ran a new paid search campaign. How's that affecting my SEO rankings or my SEO traffic in there? And and sometimes you can't, you don't know what's happening. So being able to have a tool that can pull them all together and um, and run some sort of, of machine learning through it to, to pull those things out, well, I think it's kind of the future of reporting. Um, we, we are there, I think, to an extent, um, but I don't see many agencies doing that right now, so... That's a great point. I mean, the the BI tools they're they're kind of hip and trendy now, and they're you know there's a there's a ton of them, but I, there's I still think that people still have not fully figured out everything that you can do with Data Studio. You know, correlating data, taking all these different sources, and getting uh, information, getting the story out of all of these inputs. I mean, uh, Data Studio is amazing. I I tried Power BI. I tried all those. I'm like, there's no reason for this. Data Studio. I've never once gone into there and said, I can't get what I want out of Data Studio. Plus it does visualizations, you know, so, and, and you could port all that information into Data Studio. Um, and you can I, put I, everything into um, something like BigQuery or what's, yeah, that's their big database thing. Put it in there and store it so that way you can actually have it and pull back from like the past or, or different things that you ran like an algorithm against. I think it would be great for all SEOs to sit and study a little bit of data studio, get the feel of what yeah. it can do. Cause that'll definitely help your, your job. And yeah. with machine learning on its way to help you, you know, kind of see some of the things that you can't otherwise uh, correlate and just kind of understand. Yeah. It's only going to get easier, but I think some of those BI tools are, are definitely the, the right next step. So, so let me give my three 
I, I wrote down three things that I would give from a uh, that I would give in terms of advice on top of the advice we've already given uh, from a reporting standpoint. And then I'll let let Jeff kind of close the episode out and take it uh, take it past the finish line. So I'm going to be very succinct. One, um, do your homework, know your stuff, know the site in and out, as Bill said. Uh, two. And this is really, really important, and it, it can really help you develop a good relationship. Is don't wait for the client to come to you, asking what's going on or asking what you're seeing. Go to them first. Be proactive. Uh, they will appreciate you immensely if they don't have to come to you for reporting insights every time. If you bring those things up to them proactively, and then number three, and this is I can't stress this enough, and this has helped me get over the nervousness. Uh, to be quite honest, as I've gotten deeper in my career, you almost have to report as if you're an unbiased, uncaring third party. And it's not that you don't care. It's not that you don't want your client to be successful. But if you're reporting from a place of having a great degree of bias, you're going to try to slant the report in a way that makes you look good. And I think what a client really needs you to do is to report the facts just as they are, hopefully with your analysis analysis and insights as you kind of interpret what's going on, but you can't be afraid to tell the story like it is, even if it doesn't paint your results in the best light. And I know clients, it can, it can really suck to go to a client and have to explain bad results. Um, But for the people that do it, honestly, I can say from my personal experience that you will build more trust if you're willing to, Uh, share the results, not just when they're good, but when they aren't as good uh, in an unbiased and honest way that helps you develop uh, a great rapport and a great relationship with a client. um, And they can trust you. Whereas a lot of SEOs have problems getting trusted. So that is one way for uh, to develop trust uh, with a client that can supersede the relationship just with that client. Sometimes clients go to other places and then bring you in, they bring in people that they trust. So like, Building trust uh, is almost more more important than the actual performance in in data itself. Although that is, as we know, incredibly important. Yeah, let's take it through the finish line. Awesome. So, Bill, we ask every SEO that comes on to our show one simple question at the end, and it is how much money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you were getting into SEO today, um, what would what's like one piece of advice you would give to that SEO? Like today's day one. um, And it's like, Hey Bill, I'm thinking of getting SEO. What kind of advice would you give me? I'd say prepare for your mind to be blown. No, I'd say, you know, you're going to go into this and you're going to see a lot of stuff that you're going to have to learn tons. You're going to feel incredibly overwhelmed, but this isn't going to be something that you learn probably in a year. It's going to be something that'll take you four or five years to finally become super, super confident in all the parts of SEO, but definitely try to learn it. I mean, you can be, you know, one pillar in SEO and and have a great career and make a lot of money. You can be just a, um, you know, you can understand content inside now, not really understand any technical. You can uh, succeed that way, but it's so much more fun when you are really good at all of those pillars. You know, I don't want to say, you know, a jack of all trades, master of none. I try to be a master of all the pillars in SEO and make that, that, that to me is a completely fulfilling professional goal because it, it is, it is right. doable. It's massive, but it's completely doable. 
It's not like understanding every facet of all the different laws out there. It's not understanding all the different things that all the different kind of people in medical can do. We can learn all of SEO in time, but don't be, don't be overwhelmed. It takes time, it takes patience, and it takes a lot of self-study. Awesome. I think patience is key. And confidence. You said that earlier. I think that's really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Patience is king, not content. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Bill, thank you for, uh, for coming on. We're actually recording on a Saturday. So uh, actually, I thank you to, to everybody for making, making time to record on a Saturday, uh, even though the episode will release on, on Monday. Um, but thank you for coming on. Thank you for having a, a great conversation. And uh, yeah, have a good weekend. <laughs> thank you. It was super fun. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, if you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing. <laughs>